0: We're going to start in the book of James, chapter 3, at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth, impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness so lord we come to your word we ask that you would change us with the truth of it be with nick now as he shares the word that you have given lord let us humbly hear your voice speaking today through him amen
1: Amen. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. Bonjour. Hope you're okay. Had a good half term week. Let me start with a story that will be familiar to some of you, um, but it's worth reading anyway. It's worth hearing again. Um, An American investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village uh, when a small boat uh, docked with just one fisherman on board. Inside the small boat were several large yellow fin tuna. The American banker complimented the Mexican fisherman on the quality of his fish and asked him how long it took to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a little while. The American then asked why he didn't stay out longer and catch more fish. The Mexican said he'd had enough to support his family's immediate needs. The American said, what do you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman said, I sleep late, I fish... A little, I play with my children, I take a siesta with my wife, Maria, I stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos, and I have a full and busy life. The Americans scoffed I'm a Harvard MBA, and I could help you. You should spend more time fishing, and with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat. With the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you'd have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you could sell directly to the processor, eventually, opening your own cannery. You could control the product, processing and distribution. You needed to leave this small coastal village, of course, and move to Mexico City, then to LA and eventually to New York, where you will run your own expanding enterprise. The Mexican fisherman asked, but how long will this take? To which the American replied, 15 to 20 years. But then what, said the fisherman? The American laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time is right, you could announce an IPO, sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. I would estimate you'd make millions. Millions, he said, well then what would I do? Oh, the American said, then you could retire. You could move to a small coastal fishing village where you could sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take a siesta with your wife, stroll to the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play your guitar with your amigos. <laughs> uh, we're, we're thinking this uh, during this period of time on. Um, how we live out on Mondays, uh, how we live out in our work, our everyday life, looking at different subjects and today we're looking at the issue of ambition or rather healthy ambition. Let me start by asking you a question. How many, here, how many people here would describe themselves as ambitious? I'd like to put your hand up if you describe yourself as ambitious. Not very many. Okay. Um, let me read you two dictionary definitions of ambition. They're, they're similar but actually at the heart of it different. Uh, the first one comes from the uh, Oxford uh, Dictionary. It says this, uh, Ambition is a strong desire to do or achieve something. How many of you have ever had a strong desire to do or achieve something? let like to put your hand up? Fantastic, you're more ambitious than you know uh, because you thought it was a negative term so you were a bit careful about it. But here it's a neutral term saying that we all of us, we have ambitions, we have desires and strong desires, and that's what gets us out of bed in the morning, that's what gets us to do anything, that's how anything is achieved in this world by people who are like that. And uh, the Bible of course is uh, it's full of rogues, but it's also full of good people, and uh, many of those uh, ha- were people with this strong dr- drive and ambition to achieve something. Abraham wanted to reach Canaan, uh, Moses wanted to reach the promised land. Joshua wanted to take people into the promised land. Nehemiah had a strong desire to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. In the New Testament, Jesus had a strong desire to fulfill his calling and ministry and eventually to go to the cross. Paul had a strong desire to bring people to faith and to plant churches. But all of these people who had this strong desire to achieve something all did it, not for their own ends, for their own glory, they did it for, because they felt God had told them to do it and it was fulfilling the calling on their lives. Now here's another definition, an equally valid dictionary. An earnest desire for some type of achievement or distinction or power or fame or wealth and the willingness uh, to strive uh, for its attainment. Quite different. Here, the goal is not just in doing something for its own sake, but it has another goal to it. For fame, for recognition, for money, for wealth. The thing that you do becomes almost immaterial. It's what it achieves for you that becomes important. In fact, in a survey done not that long ago amongst a bunch of young people who were setting out wanting to be involved in, in a drama or in music in their lives, interviewed and asked the question, "Why? what do you want to achieve? Why are you doing this? and the vast majority said because we want to be famous. Whatever that means. In other words, the music, the drama were merely a stepping stone to another goal, fame. For some people it's money, for some people it's prestige, for some people it's position. Uh, It doesn't matter what it is, it's beyond the thing in itself and in this passage in James, he is warning us that if we have selfish ambition plus Envy, a lethal cocktail, it will be utterly destructive in our lives and the lives of other people. Uh, In fact, he says that our wisdom, actually it's probably easy to understand this in terms of the word judgment, our judgment becomes at best impaired, he says, and at worst evil. The judgments you make are impaired or they become evil if in your heart your motivation is beyond the thing you're doing but it's for your own self. Now that's quite obvious, isn't it? Because if you're making decisions, but you're always thinking, how will I benefit from this? How can I get out of this good? How can I make more money out of this? You're gonna make decisions that are not the best decisions uh, for the situation you face yourself in. I mean, can you imagine, uh, for a moment, uh, uh, in the match yesterday, if there'd been a, a New Zealand rugby player, or Australian, but a New Zealand rugby player, who said, actually, what I want out of this match is I want to become the one person that everybody uh, uh, talks about afterwards. But even Daniel um, Carter, when he was interviewed afterwards, who was the man of the match, said actually I did what I had to do, but it was all part of a team. I wanted the team to win. In the midst of that, he actually got the prize as it were. Can you imagine the possibility that it could be a senior politician who actually, their real, his or her real aim was for their own prestige, their own position, their own notoriety, their own place in history, and that's what they really were after but they were making decisions for you and I with that in their hearts. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a company director who's making decisions for the company but what he really wants is to fill uh, his own bank account? Can you imagine a head teacher who says that he wants his children to do really well and to, to, to prosper in life but what he really wants is to be top of the grade system and he wants to have the acclamation that he is the man who got or woman who got them there. Can you imagine your boss who is dealing with you but secretly is ambitious to get to the top? Can you imagine a religious leader in a church who is preaching like we are today but actually in his heart or her heart they actually want their own prestige and position? Can you imagine people making major decisions today in life but at the heart of it they're asking how does this affect Me, You can understand how that means, as James says, this will lead to disorder and every evil practice. Of course it does. That's why we live in a world of disorder and every evil practice, because at the heart, selfish ambition has taken over. Do you know people like that? Do you know people at work? Do you know people that you meet? And you know that when I mention these things, you can think of people. All of you are thinking of people. We all think of people like that. Let me ask you another question. Has it occurred to you, that you are that person, that all of us in some way or another are tainted by selfishness and therefore we have other agendas in what we do. And James says here, there's no point in denying it, he says, don't deny it because to deny it is dangerous because it's in all of us, the thing to do is acknowledge it and deal with it because it's there. It may not be there in a big measure, it may only be there in a small measure. I know what I'm talking about because I have felt it and smelt it in my own life. And I don't like it, but it's very powerful. But if you don't see it and spot it, you'll never deal with it. This is about Mondays. This is about what happens at work, in the place we spend our lives, what the motivation behind what we do is. Some of you will know, have heard this expression, you can, anything can be achieved if you don't mind who gets the glory, have you heard that? Well, we do mind who gets the glory, that's the trouble. That's why we don't achieve as much as we could, because at the back of it all we want some of the glory. How can you tell whether the ambition in your heart is the first definition or the second? How can you tell whether it is harmful or helpful? Let me give you some ideas. The things you might feel inside if this selfish ambition is within you. Let me give you a list. You find in yourself a restless striving, never content with where you are. No peace, because always wanting to be, do something else. Discouragement by lack of recognition, because that's what you're after. People don't recognize you. People give the uh, praise to somebody else and not to you. Competitiveness and comparison all the time with other people. Using people as stepping stones to get to where you want to be. Anger when people are in the way. Someone blocks your path. You get angry with people at work because they're getting in your way, because ultimately you are not a journey person, you are a destination person. And someone who stops you getting to your destination is a nuisance in your life. Oversensitive to criticism. You define identity by achievement. What did this person achieved? What the numbers, show me the money. And lastly, you are overimpressed with celebrity and fame because that's actually what you want yourself. Uh, we could put all those up on the screen there and you can uh, measure your life by them. And you'll find it's there for, for all of us in some large or small measure, it's about me. Where does it come from? Let me suggest three areas that it comes from. I think firstly it can easily come from unhealed woundedness in your early life. Most men it is said are wounded people, usually wounded by a parent, often by a father. And our woundedness comes from two sources very often, either a lack of um, 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 affirmation Or the presence of abuse, a lack of affirmation, which I know I have experienced myself, of having a father who loves you but never says so, never says well done, never says I'm proud of you, never says you've done a good job. So something inside the little person says, well, one day I'll prove to you how great I am. Or abuse, of verbal abuse, you'll never be any good, you'll never achieve anything, you're useless. Well, I'm going to prove you wrong. And a drivenness comes into your life which is coming out of your pain. You never know where it comes from, that's the first reason. The second is what you might call an unsurrendered self. It's very interesting that we often think of being a Christian primarily in terms of being forgiven. Christianity is about forgiveness and so it is, everybody. Please don't misunderstand me. But it's even more about freedom. It's about being set free from yourself. That's why baptism is the, 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 the link between not being a Christian, being a Christian. Baptism is so important, not because it's, a, it's fun to jump in a bit of water and look good, it's because it's about dying, it's about saying the end of yourself. My selfish ambitions and selfish drives have gone and left in the water. I come up into a new person to serve and surrender to God. And a lack of surrender will mean you're always pushing for something because it's your own achievement. And the third reason, and maybe it's the biggest of all, I don't know, is a lack of trust in the goodness and grace of God that you don't really believe if you trust God he's gonna get you where you should be. You have a sneaky feeling that if you trust God, it's going to be the bottom all the time. Skimming along the bottom for the whole of your life because after all you are going to heaven, that's the promise, but the rest of the is gonna be pretty miserable. You don't believe in the goodness of God that he could get you where he wants you to be. C.S. Lewis makes an interesting comment and, and probably one of the greatest writers of our, uh, my generation anyway. From the age of 16 onwards, I had one single ambition, to succeed as a writer, from which I never wavered, in the prosecution of which I spent every ounce I could and on which I really deliberately staked my whole contentment and I recognised myself as having unmistakably failed in it. The side of me which longs not to write for no one can stop us doing that. But to be approved as a writer is not the side of us that is really worth much and depend upon it. Unless God has abandoned us, he will find means to cauterize that side somehow or other. I would have given almost anything, he said. I shudder to think what I would have given if I had been allowed to be a a successful writer. I'm writing as I do simply and solely because I think the only thing for you to do is to absolutely kill that part of you that wants success. Interesting, and he became a very successful writer, but he had to go through the pain of that experience first. I think it has to do, a healthy ambition has to do with knowing primarily you are loved as a child of God and he cares for you, that you surrendered your whole life to him, that you trust God and believe the Bible when it says that promotion comes from the Lord, that God will raise you up wherever he wants you to be, that you find God's call for your life and you passionately seek to fulfill that call, and you make strong and clear decisions that deny your own selfishness and seek to serve others. Interesting. we had a guy in the church many years ago who was a lawyer and he was uh, offered the job as a partner in the biggest law firm in Birmingham. He would have been the youngest partner ever in that law firm and it was a great privilege and he would have earned a great deal of money, which they told him about, and he said, no, I don't want it, and his reason was this, because he said, I can have all this money, I've got enough money as I am, thank you very much, but I want a life, I want a family, I want fun in my life. I don't want my whole life consumed with work. And nobody in the firm could understand it because they assumed that was the goal, was to become a partner. For him the goal was to live and to earn enough money uh, to do so. And uh, some of you remember the, the film Chariots of Fire. I've got a little clip from that here. Can you play that for us? Do we have the technology for this? I think so. This is a little clip from Chariots of Fire. Eric Little with his girlfriend. Now there's a man who was tremendously passionate and ambitious, ambitious actually to go to China where he he lived and died later on. But ambitious also that the gifts God had given him could be most fully expressed. And you know the story that in the Paris Olympics of 1924, uh, he uh, should have won the 100 meters uh, race, but the heats were on a Sunday and because he honored God, he decided he shouldn't go into the heats and so he threw aside the idea of a gold medal until he was persuaded to run in the 400 metres, which he hadn't competed in before. And uh, as he arrived on the starting block, somebody handed him a piece of paper, and it said on the bit of paper, he who honours me, I will honour. And you know the story that he ran the race because he was in the outside lane, he couldn't see anybody else, so he assumed you had to run 100 yards four four times at the same speed, and so he broke broke the world speed record for the 400 metres. Extraordinary story but a man who didn't seek his own glory, actually. He sought to, have his, to honor God in everything that he did. Some of you all know the, this, this guy here, uh, George Cadbury. Because um, uh, we all know about him in Birmingham. But he was said to be a very ambitious man. But he was ambitious to produce a good company with good food and good drink. But his main ambition was that he produced a company in which the workers were well looked after and cared for. That was part of his ambition. It wasn't primarily for himself. There's a classic example of course in the Bible, those of you that know anything about the Old Testament, you'll know there's a story of a father and a son. The father was King David, the son was his son Absalom. The extraordinary thing about David was this, that when he was a youngster, uh, Solomon came, Solomon's, um, Samuel came and anointed him as king. But although he knew he was to be king, he didn't push for it, he waited his time until it was the right time. In fact Saul who tried to kill him, he ran away from Saul but never hurt him because he knew in God's time he would be raised up as king. Here's a man who didn't seek the position, he just received it at the time that it was right for him to have it. His son Absalom, completely different. Here's a man who's totally arrogant and self-centered. In fact he was so arrogant he weighed his hair to show how wonderful he was. But he decided to deceive his father and he went behind his back and and, uh, uh, tried to please the courtiers and the elders of the city to get on their side so that they would promote him as king and then tried to become the king. And in that spirit of trying to usurp and take and grab, he lost everything. Because David actually, as you'll know the story, became this great king. And Absalom, strangely, was caught by his hair in a tree and then killed, so he lost his life. That's where it ends up. When you seek just your own ends, your own selfish desires. Interestingly, Paul has another word for ambition in the New Testament. And it comes three times. Firstly, it comes in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. When he says this, I make it my ambition, or make it your ambition, to please him. That's a fantastic ambition in life. My ambition in life is to have him say at the end of it, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have pleased me. What will please God that you use his gifts, that you live his way, that you live a servant life. Secondly, Romans 15 verse 20 says this, it's always been my ambition to preach Christ. What a fantastic ambition. I want other people to come to know the Jesus that I've come to know. But before, before I leave this world, I wanna know there's people here on earth who've come to faith because I told them about Jesus, like the word, word, woman we heard just now. And this lovely passage in 1 Thessalonians, which I'm sure many of you will uh, enjoy and take to heart, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be a dependent on anybody. That's a quiet ambition, isn't it? To get on with your life and do your thing and as best you can to please God. I want to close by reading a passage that will be familiar to those of you who have been Christians some time, maybe not known to others. Um, and it just summarizes everything we've been talking about. This in Philippians in chapter two. Paul writes this. Uh, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped at but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every name should bow, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Have this sane attitude to yourselves. And look to the benefits of other people. Seek to put other people first. And then he says, imitate Jesus. If you want to know how to have healthy ambition in your life, imitate Jesus. And it's interesting, we spend our lives trying to climb a ladder. Jesus went down the ladder. We want to go up the staircase, as it were. He chose to go down it. The interesting thing about Jesus is this. When he got to the bottom of the stairs, he discovered that he was at the top. When we get to the top of the ladder, we discover we're probably against the wrong wall or in the wrong place, there's nothing there. But he went down in order to come up. What a fantastic lesson. So there's four things in this. First of all he says, don't grasp your rights. Don't go for what you think you're entitled to. Let it go. That's what Jesus did, he did not grasp his rights. Secondly, choose to serve rather than to master. Choose always to be the servant, not the boss. You may be, make the boss, but when you become a boss, May, 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 may your bossiness be a servant type. So seek to serve people, not to get to the top. Seek to be lower down. Die to yourself, as Jesus did. He went to the cross. So say no to the things that you know have to do with self, and yes to the things that have to do with seeking, uh, doing the right thing. And then it's very interesting, isn't it, that Jesus did those, th- those things. He went down, and then God exalted him to the highest place. And the message here is let God promote you. Let him, if he wants to, he can make you wealthy. He can make you the top of the pile. He can make you very famous and very well known. But he will do it if you trust him with that. Interesting, I was thinking just the other day about a guy called Henri Nouwen. Some of you have come across him. Uh, he was, um, he's probably the best known Christian writer, uh, probably across the world. His, his, his books are read everywhere. And yet here's a man who later in life decided to bury his life in the Lash community which is a community of people who had disabilities. And that's what he wanted to do with the latter part of his life, serve people who had disabilities. While he was there, he started to write some things and he produced a number of writings and then books. He had no intention to become a famous author. He went the route down, God took him up. There are other people who have gone the route down and found they have got to the top. Interesting, by the way, our present Archbishop of Canterbury and the Pope, uh, who are the head of the sort of the church organisations in the world, but neither of those ever sought the post they have now. They were both very surprising uh, put in that position because both of them have a desire to serve. And what the Pope is doing in the Catholic Church is primarily turning it from a a, a control organisation to a servant organisation because that's where their hearts came from because God got them there in the end. And when we do that, what James says is this you will be a person who makes judgments and wisdom, and the fruit of that is peace, mercy, good fruit, and sincerity. You will be a great attribute to your firm, to your company, to your school, to your political party. You will be a huge attribute because people will look to you for wisdom because you know it's good wisdom, because it's not made out of selfishness, it's made out of a pure heart. So don't strive, that's the message here, isn't it? Be ambitious for good, for God, for others, to fulfill your own calling. Own up to the harmful ambition that you will always sneak into your life and surrender your life to God so that he can heal you and so that he can bless you. Let's just be quiet for a moment. And uh, in a moment we're gonna listen to a, a song which we can just listen to the words of. It's really a song about worth because this is all to do with worth, actually. We're seeking some sort of value outside of our relationship with God. And maybe in the quietness or during the song you'll be able to think. Maybe what's going on in your own life? Where has been the striving and the struggling and the lack of peace? Because you've been chasing after things that you're never to chase after. Where do you need healing in your life and things that have caused this drivenness? Where in your life do you feel there's, a, there's a, a right calling on your life that God has put there? Where do you need to be surrendered? There may be, well be people here this morning who've never given your life to Jesus. Never understood any of this. But the, the way forward for your life is to tuck your life under, into Jesus. Surrender to him. Let God control your life because the secret to all of what we've talked about this morning is the cross. It's the place where Jesus dealt with our selfishness and our sinfulness, made it possible for us to be forgiven but it's also the place where we can lay down our own lives and start again. And in a few minutes we're going to take some bread and some wine which symbolize to us the death of Christ and as we take the bread and the wine it will be a remembrance of what he did for us. And maybe it's an opportunity for us just to say to God once again, I surrender my life to you. I want to be a man or a woman at peace and I want to lay down myself and just seek to honour you. And thank you, you've made this possible. And I will trust you with my life that if you want to put me at the top, I'll be at the top. If you want me to be at the bottom, I'll be at the bottom. I will be where you want me to be. And I offer my life afresh to you. And even those who don't yet know Jesus, you could take the bread and the wine as a way of saying, look, I'd like to enter into this experience too. I'd like to get to know him for myself in the same way that woman did uh, in the refugee camp. And so, Father, we thank you that you have loved us so much to give your son to die for us. That you bought our forgiveness and freedom and assured us of a place with you in eternity. And we're so glad to do this morning what you have told us to do. To remember you. And it reminds us of so much. And we pray now that as we take bread and wine it will be life and healing and joy to us. And we'll leave aside, leave behind much of what we don't need. And we'll gather up again what we need for the coming journey, for the coming Mondays of the rest of our life. And to be men and women who learn to serve and to trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen.